Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I thought she said, I've got no nipples. What? <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bake Down. I'm Sarah. I'll be hosting this season. And joining me today, we have Jane Beadle, Dan Beasley-Harling, and returning to the airwaves, we have Howard Middleton. It's good to have you back, Howard. We have missed you. Are you ready to get stuck into season 13? Oh, I am. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I could say something a bit more than that. You sound excited, Howard. Yes, that's good. <laughs> you look excited, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we shall be talking about episode two of this year's Bake Off very shortly. Before we do, I wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you who joined our webinar last week. We hope you all enjoyed your tiffin and thank you to those of you who sent us your kind thoughts and your kind words regarding the death of Her Majesty the Queen. We'd also like to mention our Bake Along series of classes that we have this year. We had our first class on Sunday with Jane making her delicious coffee and walnut mini sandwich cakes. And it was truly a delicious way to kick off our Bake Along classes. Jane, how did you feel starting off our mystery classes this week? Oh, lovely. It's a real privilege to start off the classes. And a nice little bake, wasn't it? The uh, the mini sandwich walnut cakes. And I have to say, my neighbours enjoyed them greatly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jane. And we will be doing a class every Sunday to correspond with that week's Bake Off episode. And for Biscuit Week, we have the lovely Howard. And we will be doing Garibaldi's and Digestive Biscuits, where we will be practising our chocolate feathering technique. Howard, have you ever made Garibaldi's before? Well, I have been doing them now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know we're going to get on to this, but you see, I don't think chocolate goes in a Garibaldi, so that's why we're doing uh, chocolate digestives to accompany the Garibaldi. Keep the chocolate separate, that's what I say. Absolutely. A very, very good thought. And I think something that most people in the UK would agree with. If any of our lovely listeners want to sign up for any classes in our Bake Along series, make sure you check out our website at bakewithalegend.com or check out the link in the podcast description where you can also see a list of our upcoming classes. Well, it was Biscuit Week this week. We saw a couple of firsts. We had our first Hollywood handshake, and as we've mentioned before, our first Garibaldi dipped in chocolate. But we will start at the beginning. We'll start with Illusion Macarons. Dan, you have run what, hundreds of macaron classes for us. So let's start with you. What were you hoping to see from the bakers on this signature challenge? Well, to be honest, I was just hoping to see um, good uh, macaron technique, good macaronage. I expected them to be a lot worse than they were, actually. It's a notoriously fiddly biscuit, even for people who consider themselves bakers. So um, I was expecting a few more disasters. I 
had a, a few little nitpicks with some of the bakers, but I'm sure we'll come on to that shortly. But yeah, it's really just l- looking for the quality of the baker. I'm actually really interested to know what they were looking for in the tent, because as anyone who's come to one of my classes will know, um, quite an important part of um, the macaron making process is once they're fully made, you leave them to mature for 24 hours. And that way, the filling and the flavour sort of melts and softens into the shells and the shells become softer and the whole thing becomes the same texture. If you're making them to eat there and then, you're not going to have much flavour in the shells and the middles are, the fillings are more likely to squidge out. So I'd imagine they would have had to underbake them to make them palatable. So I'm really curious as to, to how people decided to proceed with that, because I, I don't think that's very easy to make a macaron to be judged there and then. Um, I think that's quite quite a difficult challenge for them so i'd be interested to know when 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 hopefully we get the chance to chat to them uh, how they managed to pull that one off absolutely and uh, mason started with uh, quite a nice quote for macarons didn't she i think she said what can go wrong with a macaron powered do you want to tell us how many things could go wrong with a macaron somebody said was it janusz who said there's 87 things that can go wrong with a macaron which I thought was very specific. I'd love to see Janusz's <laughs> list of 87 things. But yeah, I mean, you you basically look, I think Paul kind of summed it up, that you're wanting a crisp exterior, you're wanting a dome on it, you're wanting to see that little, the feet of the, the macaron. And Prue, I think, um, also said that she wanted it to be squidgy in the centre as well. She did indeed. Jane, is there were there anybody's macarons that really stood out for you? Because we had some very interesting flavours going on. Yeah, interesting flavours. I mean, to be honest, the shells end up tasting all the same. And as Dan said, you really get your flavours from the filling and it all sort of combines. And Because I don't feel you can put almond extract into a macaron because it collapses the meringue i did that i think we've talked about it before i am not a huge macaron fan i find them style the substance and dan is shaking his head at me here um and you know do you know what i make them and eat them the same day it's fine so i think dan and i just have to... <gasps> no, technically you don't but i've never had any complaints to be honest and i thought at the beginning when prue was saying i want them to be this and that with a little bit chewy in the middle and then they were saying they were melt in the mouth well you can't have chewy in the middle and melt in the mouth so i, mean, I just i frankly move on from macaron as far as i'm concerned but who stood out to me flavor wise I liked the idea and the look greatly of Janus's, but I just really question whether the spinach powder would have added anything to the flavour. I like the look. I like the idea of the watermelon. And then what did we have? Watermelon buttercream, watermelon and lemon curd. I loved all that and the way they looked. I thought they were beautiful. Um, But the spinach, maybe the spinach dried them out, which is what they criticised them for. Other than that, I don't think anything particularly sad. I don't like mint chocolate chip very much. But I did have one moan. <laughs> oh, and it's going to be one of those days. I got out of the wrong side of bed this morning, guys. Again, for the second year running, somebody has said, oh, who makes biscuits these days? You get them from the supermarket. Well, Sibira, really. Did you not listen to us last year? I think we, we hammered whoever it was last year, and I can't remember quite who it was. Amanda. Oh, was it Amanda? <laughs> yes, yes. Shame on you. Just buy it. As much as yeah. I love you. Sibira, really. Supermarket biscuits, frankly. I wouldn't get out of bed for a supermarket digestive, even a chocolate one. But I would Howard's. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would Howard's. And homemade biscuits are so much nicer than the ones you buy in the supermarket. And somebody else said you can go and buy a packet of something for 10p. Was it James or Kevin or somebody James, said? James, yeah. You know, you can go and get a packet for 10p. 10p biscuits. Frankly, I'd rather eat me Amazon packaging. So, yeah. <laughs> How I'm in a good mood this morning, everyone, can't you? <laughs> I can sense a theme here now. Jane's spoken about eating Amazon packaging last week. Let's hope we can bring this up in, in every episode. Dan, Dan, you raised your hand very politely there. Do you, do you have something to add to the conversation? Sorry, I'm copying my children who often raise their hands when they want to talk at dinner time. <laughs> uh, I don't make them do that. That's a hangover from school. I should just point that out. I'm not that parent. You know, just a couple of th- points I wanted to raise. So a couple of things that bemused and confused me. 
Um, so most of the bakers sort of piped an intricate design. Janus basically just did circles and then painted um, a little um, watermelon stripe on it, which I, as I watched it, I thought, isn't that kind of cheating? I mean, really, like you're just doing circles. Like that's, I mean, it's one of those things where there's always a line between doing, making a smart choice and making a choice that's kind of a bit of a cop-out. And I do feel that just circles are the easiest shape. And I'm surprised he didn't get hammered for, you know, making the piping as easy for himself as possible. Whereas uh, other people got criticised for sloppy piping. And I thought, well, at least they've, you know, at, le- at least they've tried. So although I like the sound of Yanis's, um, I, I, did, I did wonder if, if that, maybe other people would also feel that was a bit of a cop-out. I was also slightly confused by their criticism. They said the, the, the outside is dry. I don't know what you meant by that. What, what does that mean? Does it mean overbaked? Does it mean that the spinach powder had affected the mouthfeel of it? I, d- I don't. I don't know what that was supposed to mean. I couldn't relate that to anything. So um, maybe something was lost in translation there. And also on the regard with regards to the technique, one thing that interested me very much was Rebs. Oh, I don't remember seeing any indication of whether people were using the Italian. French or Swiss uh, methods for making macaron. But Rebs obviously scraped her batter back in and reworked it because it was a little bit underdone, uh, undermixed. And then she repiped them and got them in the oven very quickly. So they would have had like no time to rest because she was already running behind. So I would be interested to know what method she used. I would assuming I know that the Italian method is usually a little bit more stable when it comes to making feet, but she seemed to have perfectly good feet on them. So I don't quite know what was going on there. Did you notice, Jane? Well, I I thought exactly the same as you. However, I think that was all in the edit because oh. at one point Paul said to her, are they still not in? And she said, they're not ready yet. So I, I took that to mean that they'd been sitting there resting and we just hadn't seen it because they were quite lumpy, weren't they, when we saw her pipe them. So she must have bashed them on the table and put them to one side because she had some very nice domed macarons. Um, so She did. I, I think it was just the editing. You know, they, they haven't got much time when you've got 11. And just quickly, sorry, Howard, we are talking all the time, but there were a lot of rounds. Dawn had round ones. Reb had round ones. The burger buns were essentially round, weren't they? Yeah. Both those were round ones. There's nothing wrong with a round one. Actually, they did look... Were they around? They looked oval. So did they only pipe the... Oh, did, was that just a... Um... It, it, it was just round. Um, so I was expecting them to be kind of watermelon-shaped, and they were just round. Oh, okay. I think may, I... maybe that's why it upset me, because I was expecting it to be something other than round, and then it seemed just seemed like a bit of a cop-out. I, I thought that Tom Hovey's illustration showed a oval melon, and then when they were actually made, they were just round, weren't they? But... Yeah, because he was using one of those um, macaron sheets, you know, that have the sort of the borders on them, which I feel is cheating, quite frankly. But, um, you know, I'm a bit of a purist <laughs> when it comes to macaron. Uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, you cannot see the amount of eye rolling that we're all doing um, at Dan's <laughs> beautifully round macaron mat. He likes to use for many classes. I'm sure you've all seen it. Howard, something that we've just spoken about is macaron technique. And when it came to Carol's burger macarons, she said she didn't have particularly good nipples on her macarons. <laughs> and so she... I thought she said, I've got no nipples. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's Bake Off. You have to have the double entendres. Her comments were that she should have had a more domed top. So what would you have done if you were Carol in that situation to uh, improve your nipples? I think she'd got a slightly soft, slightly sloppy mixture. I think that's what it was. That it wasn't, I was going to say it wasn't perky enough, but I think, (laughs) yes. (laughs) That's a reasonable uh, description, I think. As I've said, we did have a first this week. We had not one Hollywood handshake. We had two Hollywood handshakes. Dawn's lovely yo-yo macarons got a handshake and her comments were perfect shells, good feet, great flavour. Can't really go wrong with a strawberries and cream yo-yo there. And Maxie's lovely daisy macarons inspired by her two lovely children, uh, raspberry mascarpone cream and salted caramel. I thought you were saying her children were called raspberry mascarpone cream. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, their names 
Christopher children. Meet my children, raspberry. Raspberry cream and salted caramel. Well, maybe that's what they were originally called. You don't know. Maybe. Brilliant. There we go. Anyway, her lovely macarons, inspired by her two children, uh, were delicate, neat, and delicious melt-in-the-mouth macarons. So, Howard, do you think a well-deserved handshake for Dawn and Maxie there? I do. I do. <laughs> this was. I, I, I've got plenty of humps, so I can use this one. But oh, why does he have to do that with the handshake? Prue was there in the middle of a sentence, and it's like just sticks his hand out, like interrupts her. You know, I've got to get my hand in before you finish talking, Prue. And she she said, "Oh, it's all right, it's all right," but it's so so rude. And then when he was uh, giving his hand to Maxie, he could. Hmm. Like that, at the same time, what? he's still swallowing something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, gosh. Shall we do the noise again? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all in a silly mood this morning. Sorry. I started really grumpy. I'm now really chirpy. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for cheering. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, it's always good to, to cheer people. We hope we've cheered you all up with our... Children named after fillings and Howard's lovely noises. I don't understand what Paul thought of this macaron. Was Shabira's, her tofu satay macaron. He seemed to say that it was too much sweet to savoury, but isn't that what you what a macaron is? I don't know. I've, I found his comments rather strange. Again, this was going to be another hump, but <laughs> getting him out. <laughs> so he said, initially you get that sweet kick, then you get all the spices, and I love that flavour. Then you go back to sweet again, which is a shame. Well, that's the nature of a macaron, because it's like a little sandwich. It's got a sweet outside, and if you put something slightly spicy and savoury in the middle, you'll get that next. And then you will get sweet again. If you, if you really want to stay with the sweet, break it in half. Have, have a bit of the savoury filling as the last thing. It's also slightly odd because it's not like, I mean, we've all had like a lot of the American sweets are sort of made with sweetened peanut butter. Like it's not like peanuts and sugar is not that weird a combination. You know, I don't, it's not. It was. I just found it a slightly odd criticism, and like you say, Sarah, I, I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean. Oh, it's sweet and then savoury and sweet. I'm like, yeah, that, that was the point. I don't know. They looked really pretty. I thought they were interesting. You must have liked the shape, Dan, because they weren't round. Mm. And I thought I did think they were interesting. I thought they looked quite impressive. Actually, I thought they all did a great job today, didn't? I? Can I can I get very nitpicky about something? But her macaron looked quite hollow. We were looking at the underside of them and I think they'd stuck to the pan a bit and they were quite hollow. And I don't think anyone mentioned anything about that. That is a very nitpicky thing with macaron, um, but we are on a internationally renowned baking show and I'm just surprised that nobody got pulled up for hollow macaron, which is usually the result of um, either overmixing the batter, underbaking them, or like a poor macaronage technique. So I'm surprised that nobody brought that up. Paul had probably got his mouth full at the time. He was going to say something, but he just went, <laughs> instead. Well, let's move on to our technical. I will sit back and let you guys start off with this Garibaldi dipped in chocolate. Jane, thoughts? Thoughts? I actually haven't had a Garibaldi for years. It made me quite want to make some. I've never made them. Yeah, I thought it was a nice challenge. It was interesting that people didn't know quite what they were or how to make them. But what was my point? Oh, yes, chocolate. I'm sure we all have a view on this chocolate. I don't like chocolate biscuits full stop. I'm a strange, weird person that I am. And the idea that a nice, simple biscuit with a good biscuit and a good filling is then dunked in chocolate. They just did it for something to do, didn't they, to kill the time? I think they could something a little bit more interesting with that but I thought it was hilarious that two of them didn't know what feathering was I'm sure I'm going to leave that to you guys to comment on but it made me laugh so much beautiful feathers from Sabira Sabira. (laughs) well Howard feathering is something we are going to be doing in our second biscuit week bake along class very soon I also thought it was rather strange that I think it was James said he overheard Abdul and Shabira saying they didn't know what feathering was 
but he uh, he was reluctant to correct them. Do we see a bit of tense sabotage there? Well, yeah, but I'm, I mean, I, I sort of, do you know, I, this part of me thinks, what would I do if I was in that position? And I think I'm with James. I think I just keep quiet. Is that awful? But yeah, there's hand waving all over the place. Um, okay, so when we were in the tent, they instructed you um, not to give any advice or guidance to anyone else. So, like the whole point is, it's supposed to be like an exam style, you know, um, setup, and that you're not supposed to advise anyone. So I wouldn't have told them either because you because I would get yelled at for doing that. Um, but then also there is also just a part of you that is like, um, I don't want to give anyone, you know, we all want to survive. If I if I happen to know this technique, why would I weaken my chance of doing well by telling other people how, you know, like I remember if in the technical, if you've made them before, you're laughing. And if there are other people who haven't made them before, you know that there's a very good likelihood you'll do better than everyone who hasn't made them before. A, he did nothing wrong because that's what he was supposed to do. But also B, I think it's totally understandable that you wouldn't want to give away, you know, everything you know. I remember from one of my weeks, I'd made Langdashad before and loads of people hadn't. And, you know, I wasn't about to let people know you're not supposed to whip the egg whites. Do you know what I mean? So I was watching everyone whip their egg whites and giggling to myself, uh, knowing that that was the wrong thing for them to be doing. I'm totally with Dan on his first comment. Um, we were really told off. We weren't even allowed to turn around and have a look. So if you were at the front of the tent, you had no idea what was going on behind you in the technical. Until we got to Fugas week when Andrew and Tom were quite close to each other and they were discussing between them, Tom being a Fugas expert, discussing how to do the slits on their Fugas. And they weren't told off, but we weren't allowed to join in. So there was a little bit of tension there. But interestingly, I bumped into somebody this week while I was dog walking saying they had caught up with our series of, with of Bake Off, and they said, oh, everybody seems to get on so well and help each other. Is it really like that in the tent? And I said, well, I can't speak for other series. I can speak for some series, but clearly Dan's series, everybody hated each other and nobody would help. No! <laughs> because we all felt that we didn't want to win because somebody else had failed. We wanted to win by the sheer skill of our baking. But clearly, if, if somebody was tripped up walking down the stairs into the tent or... I'd kick them on, the, on my way past. I'd give, <laughs> get the boot in, Jane. I think also on this occasion that the production team would have been absolutely thrilled at the fact that two two people are actually trying to create feathers out of white chocolate. It's like, great TV, don't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> and it was good TV as well. I just think it's quite curious, and I feel like I say this almost every week, have you not seen Bake Off? Like, when people don't know what feathering is, or they don't know how buttercreams work, I think... But you applied for the show, so you must like it. So you must watch the show. And I'm just I'm just really surprised that they hadn't heard of feathering. Or maybe it was just one of those panic moments. And sometimes if you look around and see that someone else is doing something, it sort of encourages you to think it might be a good idea. I remember in uh, our dessert week, all of us decorated our blamanges in the same uninspired way, presumably because someone at the front of the uh, room was doing it and everyone else just thought, Oh, I guess that's how you're supposed to do it. So maybe they were copying each other. I don't know. But I just thought it was quite wild how um, you would get all the way on Bake Off and not know what feathering is. Am I being very harsh? In their defence as well, both of them had feathers on their showstoppers. So if you've got feathers in your head and somebody says, do feathering, it may be that that was just in the back of their mind that they were going to be creating some feathers for their next challenge. Have you got feathers in your head, Howard? (laughs) (laughs) Well, something else that we could talk about was the bake. The comments seemed to be that some were rather crisp, but most were underbaked and a bit soft. Again, I'm, I'm bringing up a Mason quote. I think I want to make a book of all her lovely little quotes. Um, she said, I'm going to bake them till they look like biscuits, then I'm going to take them out, which, which is a, <laughs> a really good tip for anybody wanting to, to bake biscuits. Jane, would you rather a Garibaldi be a little overbaked or a little underbaked? 
possibly a fraction overbaked, I think. The thing is with biscuits, which is what's different from cake, which is why Jaffa cakes are called cakes and not biscuits, it's because biscuits go softer when they are a little staler, not that we particularly want them stale, and cakes go hard when they go stale, which is why the Jaffa cake goes hard. And anyway, there we Jaffa cake argument is a totally different thing. So I think I'd prefer mine a little bit crisper rather than soft, because all biscuits are going to do is get softer and softer and softer the longer they go, unless you keep them airtight. So yeah, I would prefer mine a, a little bit overbaked to start with. I would tend to agree, because A, you're likely dunking the biscuits in tea anyway, or having them with a cup of tea anyway, so it doesn't matter if they're a little on the dry side. I think that the voiceover kind of made a big deal about the fact that they shouldn't be overbaked, but I don't think anyone overbaked them, did they? I think, if anything, they all looked a little bit under, a little bit pale, and un- could have gone a bit further. I don't think anyone got the note that they were over, did they? Uh, Dawn. Dawn did. A wrong shape and overbaked, I think, was the description for Dawn. But she was the only only one. Yes. I don't think anyone got particularly good feedback for these. I, I sort of noted down the feedback they got at the top, and even um, the people near near the top of the list didn't get wonderful feedback so um interesting one absolutely everybody seemed much of a much of a muchness with this one um i think the only way we could really tell the difference is if we all tasted them but i noticed that everybody put chocolate on the shorter sides rather than down the long side which is what uh prue originally did but nobody got picked up for that which was interesting you know you say dip half in chocolate well, the half can be interpreted anyway, so I don't think they could have picked them up for that, to be perfectly honest. It's not as though it's a classical way of decorating a Garibaldi. So certainly had they been criticised for that, then it would have been really unfair, I think. I think also the instructions are often purposefully vague in order to give a little bit of variation in the way that the bakers uh, choose to, to do decorating. I remember in one of mine, we had an instruction that said, pipe the icing midways over the biscuit and I'm like what on earth does that mean you know like when you look at the biscuit afterwards it might seem obvious but like midways I didn't even know that was a word is it we should we should double check that we should google that um but yeah I you know I think sometimes the instructions are purposefully vague to to give more variation in the results lovely we had our technical ranking we had uh poor Abdul and Shabira towards the bottom uh possibly for their feathering misinterpretation and in third, second and first place, we had Sandro, James and Rebs. So going into the showstopper, Howard, we spoke to Jane and Dan last week about their bakers that they picked from the original photo lineup. Have, did you pick anybody out from the very beginning that you thought, yeah, they're going to do well. Oh, that's interesting. I thought, I don't know, something about James, actually. Uh, <laughs> attracted me to James. No, not for... And Maxi. Yeah, but, but then actually watching them, you, I think your, your view changes a little bit. I think Shabira has, has now come up quite a bit in my estimation. Jane and I picked very early on. Jane and I picked uh, before uh, the season started who we liked. Howard is cheating because he's seen two episodes now. So I think we're going to dock Howard points for any uh, positive. I'm not <laughs> cheating. I'm just sullied now by watching them. It's, it's... Well, you mentioned James. James did very well with his uh, delightful tattoo-inspired raccoon macarons, which is a sentence I don't think I'd ever thought I'd say. And, of course, coming second in the technical. So, Howard, maybe if you stick with James, he will see you through to the final. So let's move on to our showstopper, which this year was a, a biscuit mask. I feel like we've seen a lot of things made out of biscuits in the tent over the years. Toys, board games, selfies, towers, stories and scenes... But Jane, what were your main concerns about a biscuit mask going into the showstopper? Well, firstly, I'd like to say that I would have loved to have done this challenge. And I, you know, I quake in fear at biscuit construction because they, oh gosh, it's so difficult to get all the structure right. And, and I know certainly for our week, we had so many pieces that we had to make and it had to be 3D and oh, oh, awful, awful. I, I really hate Biscuit Week for that, for the construction. But this, 
I thought was a, a fantastic challenge and I'd love to have a go at it. I would have really relished this challenge. The problem is keeping the integrity of the shape and making sure the biscuit doesn't collapse, especially as you're then going to decorate on on top of your mask. And certainly all, well, most of them put on so much decoration and other biscuits, that biscuit underneath that they were decorating had to be pretty strong. And I would have thought not really edible. So I can perfectly understand why everybody went for gingerbread, but you've got to cook that gingerbread enough to make it crisp and not to be a soft gingerbread. Otherwise, as, as poor Carol found out, it will collapse. So that's the main thing. It's not the decoration on the top. It's getting the structure of that initial mask right and the bake right so that you're confident that it will hold all the decoration you're going to slap on top. Dan, whose um, mask really stood out for you? Well, just first, I want to say I just I absolutely agree with Jane. I think the structural part of the mask, almost inevitably, you need to bake enough that it's kind of not really that pleasant to eat. Um, I would have probably done something like baking a fairly sturdy mask and then decorating with a bunch of biscuits that were a bit more edible. I think that would have been the strategy to, uh, to go with. The people who impressed me the most were the people who did the most different kinds of biscuits. A couple of people did macaron, which is kind of cheating because you're doubling up on the work there. They already had to prepare them for the signature. So if they perfected them once, we're like, we might as well try it for the second the showstopper as well. But I think the one who stood out to me a lot was Maxi. Because she did, I forget what was coconut and lime. I assume that was a sugar cookie. But she did some cardamom twills and she did some macadamia florentine. So she did two kinds of batter biscuits. Uh, I think we all make florentines here. So we know that they can be sort of tricky and maybe a little bit more work. I probably wouldn't have chosen macadamia because it's not a particularly interesting nut and also incredibly expensive. But cardamom twills, I thought, wow, that's um, that's challenging yourself actually. Because twills are tricky to do. They require a lot of like babysitting and watching like a hawk to make sure they're, they're done enough that they're still malleable and can be shaped but obviously I'm not frazzled to a crisp and cardamom's a, a tricky flavour to get the, the flavour right it can be easily so easily either absent or overpowering so I thought she did a wonderful job um, not only visually that was a great bake but also with all the different kinds of biscuits um, the other one that stood out to me was James who made uh, the brandy snap mask it's very much shades of uh, Terry from my season who made an absolutely horrifying brandy snap mask over his own face and uh, clearly uh, the public responded to that very well they really enjoyed that so I dare say that's why James thought that would be a, a good thing as I say if you get the brandy snaps to work for you a brilliant medium because you can mold it uh, so so well and get the shape that you're looking for but again it comes with all those inherent risks of um it's going to be brittle, it's going to break, you know, you can burn them. Um, so, um, yeah, I think they stood out to me in terms of I was impressed with the baking that they took on. With regards to the decoration, I thought a lot of them were very beautiful. I thought a lot of them were lovely, and I'm not sure I could have done a better job. Yanis's, uh, from a design perspective, um, stuck out to me. The cubist idea, I, I think that would have really suited me because I'm not very artistic. I'm not saying that's not artistic, but I'm just saying, like, you know, sticking a bunch of shapes together, I probably could have done that. So, And I thought that worked really nice of him it was really interesting but also eminently achievable and I think that is something you're looking for in the Bake Off tent something that has an impact but is achievable within the time so um yeah I think those lots stood out for me yeah those are my favorites lovely uh, yes especially so early on we're only in week two no need to get too crazy just yet um Howard whose mask really stood out for you James I I really admire Yanish I, I thought was great I think the only problem I that I had with Yanish's was that it looked as if it had got quite thick fondant on it so I think um he wanted to get a lot of color on there but he was using um quite thick icing in order to achieve that and that obviously is going to have an effect then upon the the taste and texture of the biscuit so the one i really admired as well was was abdul's i thought that was great to be able to create all of those little feathers out of different colored biscuits and then uh, achieve that uh, what you call the chubby parrot it was lovely well we definitely saw lots of different uh, as you said, Dan, different types of biscuit, different styles. But we have to talk about Carol's collapsing mask. It was pointed out that she was using lard in her biscuits. And that was pointed out something that really didn't work. Jane, what do we think about using lard in a gingerbread mask? And to be honest, I've, I hadn't even thought about it before then. I use lard in pastry, but I've never used lard in a biscuit and 
and the others might have a better view as to what will happen to your dough if you do that. I wouldn't have thought it's adding much flavour. I mean, butter adds flavour to your biscuit, whereas lard, I can't imagine that's added much flavour. Certainly, you wouldn't be dishing it up to any vegetarians along the way. So it wouldn't have been my choice. And it could well be that it was, Paul said it was the lard that made it soft. But then he said, perhaps you should have baked it longer. So I really... I'm not 100% sure I wouldn't use, ever recommend anybody use lard in a biscuit. Why? Why use it when it could be butter? Perhaps it was an old... Flavour. Flavour? Yeah, do you really want that beef fat flavour in your... There's some nice earthy notes that come with it. So you don't, you're not tasting the beef, but you're sort of getting those earthy low notes. Lard is very underrated, okay? Um, <laughs> and I have to say, my gingerbread recipe, the one that I use, is actually 50% butter, usually 50% vegetable fat, to be honest. Um, but I, I can use lard if I have it in the fridge and I don't have any vegetable fat. It's fine. I don't know that it makes that much of a difference. As Jane said, I think more baking was really the answer. And also, if you look at the stand that Carol had, some of them had sort of like it was like a flat piece of support. Carol's support on the top part of the thing was like two sticky out pins like that dug two holes straight through it. I think her support, her baking, under slight underbaking and the type of stand she had were a bigger problem than the lard, in my humble opinion. I, d- I did generally admire people who were actually working on the mask in an upright position because I think there is a, a danger if you are going to work flat on your worktop and then at the last minute transfer it onto something else to get it upright. Um, you are risking, um, well, something happening at least. Can I just say whose mask I liked? Because uh, I thought Dawn's, uh, she may not have cut out eye holes, but I loved the whole Baroque steampunk look with that. I thought it was very nice. But this Viennese rice paper crown, purple crown thing that they made such a fuss about Paul eating or not eating or being cardboardy, I really think they missed a thing out in the edit. They should have made him eat it because <laughs> he said he was going to eat it and I think they should have seen, made him eat it and see him spit it out or something which would have been lovely and made me really laugh I thought Dawn needed a shout out actually because I, I love I loved the design of it they all did a great job I thought it's one of my favourite show stopper challenges I think of recent years I'm inclined to agree um, I think uh, you know uh, many of you will know my opinions on biscuit showstoppers I think sometimes we have ridiculous constructions just for the sake of it and it feels a bit like just for the sake of it but I thought the mask idea was a nice one I mean I don't know why you'd ever make one but I think uh, you know it was it was a nice idea and I, I also I would just want to touch on the Vietnamese uh, rice paper it's not something I'm familiar with actually um, I don't to be honest, make my own um, Vietnamese spring rolls. So it's not something I know. But I would just say, like, I'm very much of the opinion that you shouldn't decorate a bake with anything that you wouldn't want to eat. I mean, that's why I'm a little bit against fondant, as many of you know, because I don't really want to eat that either. Thank you very much. But I don't think raw rice paper, you know, maybe it really looks the part. Maybe you can make some really effective designs with it. But I don't know if I'd really want it on there either. Although I might put it on a cake and then change my opinion. Uh, You never know. But yeah, it's. I think if anything, like you have to take it off and put it to one side before you eat it. I'm not sure I want it on there. It's the same with isomalt. Hmm. Isomalt because it looks pretty and is very much easier to deal with than a, a caramel because caramel is much more temperamental. But I certainly wouldn't want to eat isomalt. So there are a couple of things. Oh, or a plastic Father Christmas. Then we can mention. <laughs> <laughs> you say that as if it's from experience, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> is this some childhood trauma you're sitting on? What's going on? So there are things one would put on a cake. I do think every most things ought to be edible, at least. No choking hazards for small children, please. So I don't object to her Vietnamese rice paper or the isomalt because we all use these things to make cakes look brilliant. But as long as they're not going to kill you if you try and eat them, I think is the thing. I just wanted mm. to see Paul eat it, having made such a fuss about it. Do you like Paul? It's really hard to tell, Jane. Well, I have my moments. I mean, I like him sometimes. He was perfectly lovely to me when I went back at Christmas, which made up for hideousness when I was on the series, when he was really mean, told me my cake was disgusting. It seems like you want him to suffer. <laughs> no, I don't at all. It's just if they had made if they hadn't commented on it and he hadn't said he was going to try it, then I wouldn't wouldn't make a fuss. I think they 
you know, continuity. Let him put a bit of this purple rice paper in his mouth and see how edible it was. No, Paul, he's all right, isn't he? He does the job. He's there to be contentious and and prowl around the tent, and he does it very well. I have nothing against him personally. So let's move on to our star baker. And our star baker, of course, this week was the lovely Maxie, who got herself a handshake, came fifth in the technical, and whose carnival masquerade-inspired mask was said by Prue as truly amazing, like a burst of happiness. Howard, do you think this was a well-deserved star baker for Maxie? Yes, I do, actually. I I, I think she'd done uh, really well throughout. Okay, so she didn't come particularly high in the technical you know fifth is is great i wish i'd gone uh, got fifth more often but yeah <laughs> i thought overall she she really shone this week so i was really really pleased with that dan do you have any thoughts on this no i completely agree with with what howard said you know she had a, a great signature she had a great showstopper fifth is perfectly respectable kind of middle of the pack but um, yeah, I think she was the standout. And I, I love Maxie. I'm really enjoying her baking. I'm really enjoying her changeable accent. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever noticed this really all over the place? I'm like, where are you from, honey? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I really like Maxie. And obviously, as uh, Jane and I um, gushed about, she's very beautiful young lady and clearly a talented baker as well um so yeah nothing but nothing but praise to maxi a well well deserved win this week and of course with the star baker we have to eliminate somebody else which again feels very harsh still quite this early in the competition and of course that was poor Maysim bless her I think Carol was quite shocked that it wasn't her I think she said if she got through this week it would be by the skin of her teeth but she was lucky and it was poor Maysim that left this week and with her parting words were this is definitely not the end of my baking journey. Jane, do you think we've uh, we still have more to see from Mason? I think we did. Actually, I was quite shocked too. I thought there were a few contenders this week. Just looking at the technical, she came 7th in the technical, which was what well, could have been worse, couldn't it? I I did I didn't find anything in their comments that gave me the hint that she was really going okay she didn't finish her macarons or decorate them and we didn't really speak about that did we early on but I don't think they texture spot on I think one of the judges said and her her mask was described as pretty colors were vibrant nice design would have liked a little bit more a lot was talked about behind the scenes I think her, her mask was simple I thought it could have been between Rebs, Carol and Mason. I think, you know, you don't know what goes on in the tent. You don't see all of the comments and we just have to assume that they they left us hanging to make it just a little bit more exciting. I'm sorry to see her go. You know, 19-year-old, it's lovely to see her in the tent and she was a joy and she was... Um, a lovely young baker, and I hope it doesn't put her off at all. Uh, it's, it's hard going home. I know Michael went home in bread week in our week, which we all, all also found was perhaps not the correct decision on the day. I don't know. I'm rabbiting on. I was quite shocked. I couldn't have put a pin between them, really. So um, sad to see her go, and I think we could have seen some more from her. But, well, let's hope we see we see some of her lovely bakes on social media because I'm sure we will see a lot more of her. Indeed. Now, thank you everyone for discussing your thoughts on Biscuit Week. Before we finish, uh, we do have a couple of questions for you. Uh, every week we ask all our lovely listeners to write in with questions. So let's start with Shreletha in New York, who wants to know, why do bakers choose ingredients like miso or soy when they don't have to? Like if it's not having specific dietary practices, would it be a good idea to choose this for week one? Dan, I think we touched a bit on this last week when we said you don't have to go crazy with flavours quite so early on. So what are your thoughts on this question? Well, I think, you know, everybody wants to be um, a little bit interesting and do something a little bit different. Uh, is there any reason for it? Depends who you ask. Um, for me, not really, because I'm a fairly, you know, the bakes that I like 
a sort of the more traditional European bakes. So for me, they don't include things like soy sauce and miso. But I fully understand um, people's desire to do something a little bit different and interesting. You know, I'm not averse to different and interesting. Yeah, I would just use salt. But then, you know, I think some also if you if something like miso or um, soy is adding that saltiness, it's a great way to make it sound a little bit more interesting than it actually is. You know, like we all want to it just sound good on paper that we're making something you know and um sort of lemon and miso sounds a little bit more interesting than lemon so you know it's just maybe it's maybe it's just to make it sound a bit more interesting than it is and that ties perfectly actually bizarrely enough into our second question which is from david in oxfordshire do you have any tips for people who want to start experimenting with more unique flavours? I'm a little nervous of making something inedible, but I want to be more creative. Howard, how would you approach this? It's a similar way to the way that you develop any recipes, really. So if you've got something that you've tried, a biscuit recipe or a cake recipe or whatever, and it's worked really well, let's say you've put orange in there or lemon in there, Try something like yuzu, try grapefruit. You know, it's it's a gradual thing. You don't have to immediately go for the marmite or anything like that. You know, just just think, how could I tweak this and try it? If you've used something with cinnamon, try cardamom in there. So it's about just tweaking some of those uh, ingredients, I think. Sorry, just one thing I would add to that is, um, you know, bakers, we often say to people, like, don't change the recipe. That's definitely true of like, the ratios of the ingredients because we've all tried and tested them. But don't be afraid to Google, like, what flavours go together, like, what goes with lemon, you know, and just like, and you'll find many answers and not all of them are right, but, you know, you'll get a consensus on what flavours work with what flavours. And don't be afraid to try something a bit different, um, you know. So just just be a little braver. Um, it very, very work, rarely works out that I make something that I'm like, oh, actually, no, that's really horrible. You, most of the time, if you do a little bit of research on the flavours first, it usually works out all right. Yeah, I would just add, if you are going to do that, so like Howard says, add a little cardamom, in, which I love, don't go and put a teaspoon of it in or half a teaspoon of it in. Very often we can taste a cake batter or a raw biscuit batter, um, if you think it's not strong enough, you can always add a little bit more. You can never take it out. So just go very gradually with some of the strong flavours. And next time you eat it, you could add a little bit more. Just make notes. I keep a notebook and put things down and then I write comments about against the notes because nothing worse than going, how much did I put in last time? Did I put in an eighth of a teaspoon or a quarter of a teaspoon. So if you keep notes and then correct it, you know, and say, oh, it needed a little bit more, you can then improve the recipes as you go along. Lovely. Thank you all for that fantastic advice. If anyone out there has any more questions for our lovely bakers or any comments on this series, please do let us know. You can email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can send us a message on Instagram. We are at bakewithalegend. Please include your name and where you're messaging from because we love to see how far our podcast reaches. Now, finally, let's take a moment to talk about some upcoming classes we have with our fabulous legends. Howard, you have a brand new class for us. You have a cinnamon roll buns class coming up on Saturday, the 1st of October, ready for Cinnamon Bun Day on the 4th of October. Are you looking forward to this new class? I am. Yeah, do you know, I was so pleased with how well that that worked because obviously when you're doing kind of sweet dough and you've got to get it done in in under two hours there's always a bit of a risk there but yeah it it worked first time and that doesn't normally happen so <laughs> it's going to be a lovely class so please do make sure you sign up for this brand new one and jane back by popular demand we have your beautiful donuts class on saturday the 22nd of october this one is always a popular one for you isn't it yes it seems to be i would have thought everybody in the whole world had made donuts by now but yes because we make a nice jam filling um which is always a good skill to learn anyway and a, a lovely orange custard filling too and you can't beat a homemade donut so really looking forward to doing that and they're nowhere near as hard as you might think and we do manage to get a double proving although we cheat slightly by 
uh, you know, heating up the oven a little bit to, to hurry it along. Yeah, great class. So please join me for that if you haven't already made it. Or if you have made it and you just want to make another batch, just come along as well. <laughs> just come back and do it again. You don't need to be scared of deep frying. It is much easier, as Jane says, than you think. And Dan, a class we had for you um, not very long ago was our Black Forest Gatto class, which did so well, sold out so quickly. We're putting it on again for you guys on Sunday, the 6th of November. Uh, Dan, this was an insanely popular class, wasn't it? Well, everyone loves the Black Forest Gatto, don't they? As um, everyone who takes my classes knows, the first time I teach a class always takes forever. You know I love to chat as well, which doesn't help. So that probably could have been a showstopper class, to be fair, but I'm whittling it down. I'm going to try and get it done in a little bit more like two, two and a half hours next time. But um, it's a wonderful cake, and if you haven't made one before, this is sort of my twist on it. I've tried to do something a little bit interesting with the decoration, but there is an easy option if you're a little bit frightened by that. But everyone got back to me and said how deliciously tasty it was. And I've even fed it to Germans who said that the flavour and texture is exactly correct. So, um, yeah, I'm, um, so I'm really, really happy with that. Of course, fed it. I mean, they were willing participants. So my in-laws have some German friends who come and visit them. So I, when they were going along, I thought I'd take it along and get, get the official word on it. And um, good news is it got rave reviews. So, um, yeah, very pleased about that recipe. Did you lock the door and let them leave until they'd eaten it? (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. (laughs) So if you fancy coming along to Dan's German-approved Black Forest Gatto class, you can sign up to that one as well. Please check out bakewithalegend.com for a list of all of our upcoming classes. And don't forget, you can use the code podcast to get 10% off your next class well that is it this week from Dan Jane Howard and me that is all from us we hope you enjoyed listening and we will see you next week for another episode of The Bake Down just heard a stripped media production. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.